Well, on your chair, you should have a hello, my name is label. Could you grab that and just lift it up in the air? Okay, just wanted to make sure everybody has one. Make sure you don't lose that, and uh, we're going to be using those at the end of today's service. Well, it is uh, an honor to share the Word of God with you again uh, this morning. It's an honor and a privilege. Uh, Pastor and Don are in Phoenix on vacation, and they wanted me to let you know that they love you and that they miss you, and they will be back on Wednesday to see all of you. So just continue to keep them in prayer that they would be refreshed and uh, re-energized as they are winding down their vacation. Well, last week I shared with you uh, four telltale signs that you might be a Christian atheist. If you weren't here last week, you may be a little confused by the name Christian atheist, but don't worry, I promise I will catch you right up. Um, If you didn't get a chance uh, to hear last week's message, I encourage you to listen to it uh, online or or grab the CD because today's message ties right into last week's message as well. We're doing part two of the Christian atheist. But I just want to share some definitions that we talked about last week to just kind of catch you up so that you are not lost as I am uh, giving you uh, the word this morning. An atheist, as you know, uh, is someone that denies the existence of God. I bet uh, several of you in this room, uh, you know someone that considers themselves an atheist. Uh, But there's another kind of atheist that I talked about last week and that I want to talk about again this week. And that is a Christian atheist. And a Christian atheist is someone who believes in God but lives as if he doesn't exist. Let me say that one more time. A Christian atheist is someone that believes in God, but they live their lives as if he does not exist. If you remember last week's message, I said that you might be a Christian atheist if you try and earn yourself into a right relationship with God. Based on what we do, based on our works, we try to to get closer to God by how much we can do for God. You might be a Christian atheist if you refuse to forgive. You might be a Christian atheist if you don't trust God with your money. And number four, and the last thing we talked about, is you might be a Christian atheist if you don't believe God for the supernatural. And at the end of first service... We prayed for everybody in the congregation that was believing God for the salvation of a loved one or uh, of a family member or someone close to them. And I believe that God is going to touch their lives in a supernatural way and he is going to bring those people into a relationship with him. Well, we are going to continue into part two this morning. I have a good friend that I've known for Uh, a very long time, and he is a very strong believer in God. In fact, he feels called to lead worship. He wants to have a family and kids. He wholeheartedly believes that Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died for his sins, and rose again on the third day. He also lives an open homosexual lifestyle. Last year, I got to... uh, talk to my friend, and, and he doesn't live 
near here, but I got a chance to have a conversation with him, um, and we caught up over uh, some coffee, some Starbucks coffee. How many of you love Starbucks coffee in here? I know I grabbed a cup before I came to church. Uh, But we caught up over some coffee, and he went on and on and on about how he has never felt closer to God in his life before, and how God was doing this in his life, and how God was teaching him this, and how God was speaking to him about all of these different things. And after I listened to him, I told him how happy I was for him, and then I lovingly asked him what he thought about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where Paul clearly says that homosexuals, along with a long list of sins, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the only reason I I was kind of straightforward with him about this is because we're friends. I wouldn't just go to a stranger, you know, and just kind of push this on him. But because we were friends, I had a relationship with him so I could talk to him like this. And so I asked him, what do you do with that verse? And he kind of looked at me shocked and he said, you know what, I've never heard that verse, but I think Paul was explicitly talking about that particular culture and that particular time. And that's not the time that we live in today. I quickly realized that my friend believed in God, but he was a Christian atheist. He lived as if he didn't exist. In Apostle Paul's second letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, he warned him of these Christian atheists. And Uh, You have notes on the back of your bulletin if you would like to follow along. But this scripture should be up on the screen for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 says this, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. In verse 5, I kind of want to highlight that. Paul says that these people have a form of, of godliness. That word form is referring to outward shape or an outward appearance. Paul is saying that they may look good on the outside, but God sees what's going on on the inside of your heart. You can play the game and you can be fake on the outside and you can fool everybody that you're friends with. You can fool everybody at church. You can fool everybody uh, in your family, but God knows exactly what's going on inside of each and every one of our hearts. Christian atheists look good on the outside, but when you dig a little deeper into their lives, you discover that they deny God's existence by the way they choose to live their lives. 2 Timothy was Paul's last letter he wrote before Emperor Nero had him executed. This was a very personal letter to his spiritual son, Timothy. The contents of this letter were incredibly important. And we should take this very seriously that Paul, knowing his days were coming to an end, warned Timothy, his spiritual son, that these Christian atheists had a form of godliness, but they denied its power. My first point this morning is this. You might be a Christian atheist if you're easily offended. You might be a Christian atheist if you are easily 
offended. Proverbs 18 and 19 says this, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Proverbs 19.11 says, a, person, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Ecclesiastes 7, 21 and 22 says, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. So don't listen to everything everybody's saying about you because you're bound to hear someone talking smack about you. And he's saying, you know what? You talk smack about others, so don't be surprised. People get offended at everything, especially at church. People are offended that the music is too loud. They're offended that Casey's hair is red instead of blue this week. They're offended that the preacher talked about money. They're offended that someone sat in their seat at church. They go to lunch and they're offended that the waiter didn't get their food to them in time. They're offended that someone didn't say hi to them. They're offended that they didn't get invited to a party and the list goes on and on and on. Did you guys get the Casey name drop? Yes? Okay. I said it kind of fast. Let me say something here this morning. If you're offended because someone walked by you this morning and didn't say hi, let me ask you something. Why on earth didn't you say hi to them first? Do you think you're too good? It's, it's crazy to me that we get offended that people walk by us and don't say hi, yet we don't open our mouths and say hi to them. What if those people were thinking about something else and they didn't even notice you? Maybe, let me fill you in on something. You might not be the most important person on the face of this earth. They might be thinking about an argument they had with their spouse before church. They may be thinking about getting their kid to class before it starts. You never know what people are going, you know. uh, My wife gets mad at me all the time because she'll be talking to him and I'll, I'll be looking straight in her eyes and I don't even hear a word that she says because I'm thinking about something else. And then I get in trouble for it. You guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) King Solomon, the writer of most of the Proverbs, tells us it's to our glory to overlook what someone has done to us. The truth is, you don't have time to be offended at everyone that does something to hurt you or to offend you. People that are focused on what God wants them to do with their lives are too busy to pay attention to everybody that's saying something to offend them. They're too busy doing the will and the work of God to pay attention to all of that mess. Offense is rooted in selfishness and unmet expectations. Let me say this. It's normal and it's human to get offended by someone else. Okay, everybody gets offended. Everybody gets their feelings hurt and everybody hurts other people's feelings. And it's normal and it's human. But there's a good way to handle offense and there's a bad way to handle offense. And let me talk to you for just a minute about some bad ways to handle an offense. One bad way to handle an offense is to talk to others about the person that offended you. We hear this all the time, but when we talk to others about the person that offended you, 
that person may pick up the offense that you have. And when you are over that offense and you've dealt with it in your heart, that person that you talk to or those people that you talk to, they may be still holding that offense and they may treat that person differently because they still haven't gotten over what you told them about. Another bad way to handle an offense is to allow bitterness, anger, and resentment to settle in your heart. We internalize the offense. And we might not tell anybody else, but we start to allow bitterness and resentment and anger to just fester inside of us. And it affects every single area of our lives. And it becomes a toxic poison to our hearts. Next one is so important and so deep. Do not post your offense on Facebook. And we need to hear this because I see offenses posted on Facebook all of the time. What you are offended at is no one else's business. And here's the deal. You can post something and you can delete it, but it's already been on your news feed and people already see it. And you know what people can do? They can copy and paste that post that you put. And long after you deleted it, they still have it. And even if they don't copy and paste that that uh, offense, they have it ingrained in their mind what you posted. So do not post your offenses on Facebook. And you would think this is something that really just the teenagers need to deal with. But I I probably see more adults posting their offenses and their business on Facebook than I do teenagers. It's crazy. Another bad way to handle offense is to try and get back at the person that offended you. When you try and get back at that person, nobody wins in that situation. You don't win and the person you're trying to get back doesn't win. Now, the proper way to handle offense can be found in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus talks about this, how to properly handle offenses. First, you go to them in private and let them know how they hurt you or how they offended you. If they don't listen, you take one or two people with you and you talk to them again. And you don't do this so that you can gang up on them. You do this so that the people can be a witness to what you're talking about. And if they still don't listen and it's serious enough, you bring it to the leadership of the church and you let them know what's going on and you try to get them to mediate the conflict. And if that doesn't work, there's nothing else you can do and you've got to let it go. You have to let it go. Because you cannot force someone to apologize to you. You cannot force someone to write what they did wrong to you. You can bring it up. You can pray about it. But the decision is in their hands. And if they choose not to, you just have to let it go and you have to move on. It's unhealthy to be easily offended. But we should also be careful not to purposely offend people. Like I said, offense is rooted in selfishness and unmet expectations. You can trace every offense back to an expectation that wasn't met. For example, if my wife is cooking dinner and she's taking care of the kids at the same time and, you know, Boston just went to the bathroom in his diaper and and Avia spitting up and she's trying to cook in the kitchen and all that and she's expecting me back at 6 o'clock in the evening to eat dinner with the family and I don't show up till 8 o'clock... What do you think is going to happen when I come through the the door at 8 o'clock without calling her, even if I was held back at work? What's going to happen is my 
hot dinner is probably going to be waiting for me in the trash can. And she is going to be offended at me. And you know what? It's my fault because she expected me at home at this time. And I chose not to communicate to her and showed up two hours late. And so she's offended at me. And so we need to be careful that we don't purposely offend people or because of our lack of communication or, or, or because of our irresponsibility that we don't offend people. Try your best not to offend people if it's in your power to do so. You might be a Christian atheist if you allow others to label you. You allow others to label you. Labels are used to identify who you belong to or to describe what or who you are. I have a slide. I want to do an exercise with everybody. I want this message to be a little bit interactive. So if you could put that uh, slide up with different uh, labels and brands and logos, that would be great. Let's, let's do this together. Top left. What is that? Next. Craigslist. Craigslist and peace. Next. 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 Okay, I, I wanted the swoosh on there. It kind of tells you what it is. The last two, they're self-explanatory right there. Nike and Target. Labels are used to identify who you belong to or to describe what or who you are. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Verses 21 and 22 says this. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We are taking a team of 18 people to Haiti in a couple weeks. And while we're there in Haiti, we are going to be wearing our Hustling for Haiti t-shirts there to represent our church and, and uh, all that stuff. And so what I am going to do, because um, I'm smart, um, just kidding, I'm not that smart. I am going to label the tag on my shirt with my name because I don't want somebody uh, that forgot their shirt or uh, maybe you know, their shirt is dirty or something, to pick up my shirt and wear it. And so I am going to label that shirt so that everybody knows that I am the owner of that shirt. This scripture says that God has set his seal of ownership upon us. That word seal means to mark you or to stamp you, to authenticate. God labels us, he stamps us, and he authenticates that we are his children, that we are his prized possession. When people come into contact with us, they should know that we are Christians because our Heavenly Father has labeled us his children. He has put his spirit inside of us, and if we're walking in his spirit daily, people will notice that there is something different about us. People will notice that, that the hand of God is upon our lives, whether everything is going perfect in our lives or if everything is falling apart. If God has put his seal upon us, if God has authenticated us, if God has labeled us, people should know that there is something different about us. Amen? What happens is that we, place, we replace God's label on our lives with man's label and we start 
to have an identity crisis. We replace what God has said about us and what God has labeled us with what man has labeled us, and we start to have an identity crisis. If you go through our building, you will see labels on cabinets, drawers, closet doors, rooms, uh, parking spots, and other things that either say Alpha or New Bethel. These labels are used to identify the ownership of those things because we have two churches meeting in one building. It gets confusing when Alpha stuff gets put in New Bethel's cabinets and vice versa. What happens is we start using stuff that's not ours. The same thing happens when we allow man's labels to be put over God's labels in our lives. Our our lives start to get confusing. Our values and our standards start to get mixed up. There have been many labels that I have allowed others to place on me instead of allowing God to label me in my life. And the first label that I remember having is this. And can you guys see what is on my shirt? Can you guys read it? It's too small. Lainey, she's a young buck. She could read it. Indian. You're probably thinking, what? For those of you that don't know uh, what I am, I am Indian. My parents migrated to this great country 33 years ago, and I was born and raised in this country, in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, I finally uh, really got saved about, what, 12 years, uh, 2013, 11 years ago, and I moved to Texas, where everything is bigger and better, uh, but the first label that I remember having on me was Indian. There was a time in my life that I did not like being an Indian. Growing up in the Midwest, there were three groups in my elementary, middle school, and high school. It was white people, black people, and Hispanic people. And I always felt like I didn't fit into any of the groups. And I always felt like that kid that kind of didn't fit in anywhere, and I was kind of just lost. It took me a very, very long time to become comfortable in my own skin. It, it formed a lot of insecurities in my life and, and made me do a lot of things to just try and fit in with the crowd. I remember one time when I was walking into my <clears throat> youth group on Sunday morning, And I walk in, and I'm a little late, and all the kids are sitting there. And I remember Christian Peterson, who was the most popular kid in our church. He turns around, and he looks at me, and he puts his hands like this, and he does like this. And all his little groupy friends turn around with him, and they laugh at me. And I don't know if you know what this means, but in America, when we say yes, we go like this. In Indians, for whatever reason, I don't know why, when they say yes, they go like this. We're the original bobbleheads, but he was making fun of me for being Indian, and I felt absolutely humiliated. I was already insecure and embarrassed of being Indian, and he just exploited that insecurity in front of everybody, and I did not want to go back to youth group. There was another time in seventh or eighth grade when James Landers... You can tell I've gotten over these issues. I know them by name. (laughs) 
James Landers, a pudgy, chunky, rich kid. As soon as the teacher walked out of the room to do whatever teachers do when they walk out of the room, he starts making fun of me. And he starts calling me the slushy man from The Simpsons. And he starts saying, would you like to buy a slushy? And he starts talking in this Indian accent. And the whole class is looking at me and cracking up at my expense. And I'm sitting there. I'm hot and I'm sweating because I'm so embarrassed because he's making fun of me for being Indian. And I just felt about this big. So I was embarrassed of that label that was put on me. These are just two of several experiences I had growing up that caused me to be embarrassed of who I was, and it caused me to have an identity crisis. And later on in my teenage years, it caused me to go down a very destructive path because I felt in order for me to fit in, in order for me to be cool, I had to do certain things. And those certain things got me into a lot of trouble. Another label that I've recently had is this. This one might be a little bit harder to read. Anybody, can anybody make this one out? No? I'll help you out. The next label that I've had on myself is people pleaser. I am a people pleaser. I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to love me. I want to make everybody happy in my life. There's something inside of me that wants to please everyone. There's something inside of me that wants the approval of everyone. I really dislike offending people, and I don't like confrontation, and I will try and avoid confrontation if I can. Sometimes I can. As a pastor, sometimes you cannot avoid confrontation, but if I can, I will. And as I try to uh, please everybody, sometimes I can bite off more than I can chew. And I will sometimes overbook myself because I have a hard time saying no to people because I don't want them to be offended at me or I don't want them to think I'm not a hard worker. I don't want them to think I don't care about them. So something I'll do is I'll overbook myself because I have a hard time saying no. And I run into trouble when I do this because there are times in my life I'll try to do everything for other people and neglect my family. There have been times that I've had to say no to something me and my wife had planned because I overbooked myself. And let me tell you, I pay the price for it. If you know my wife, she is not afraid of confrontation. She's awesome, though. She really is. Everyone wants to be liked, but it becomes unhealthy to try and please everyone all the time. You will run yourself into the ground trying to please everybody. What I'm learning is that it's impossible to please everyone. It is absolutely impossible to please everyone all the time. You will run yourself into the ground trying to do that. Someone will always be unpleased with what you're doing or what you're not doing. I promise you that. 
You can't please everyone all the time. There will always be someone that can bring up something you are not doing right. And you will wear yourself out if you listen to everybody. Let me ask you something this morning. What kinds of labels are you wearing that man has put on you? God has labeled you, but what kind of labels are you wearing this morning that man has placed in your life? What about the labels that culture has put on you? You have to be a certain size, and you have to be a certain weight, and you have to have certain style. Uh, you, you just, uh, the, the, what culture, the labels that culture has put on you. What about labels that parents or coaches or people that you look up to have put on you? What about labels that you have put on yourself? What kinds of labels are you wearing this morning? Ugly, fat, tall, dumb, feminine, masculine, jock, gay, unwanted, unloved, rejected, loser, average, worthless, moody, snobby, fake, B-team all-star, Black sheep, failure, could all be labels that someone else has tried to put on us or that we have tried to put on ourselves. How about the pressure of feeling like you have to live up to your successful parents or a successful older brother or sister and we feel this this unnecessary pressure to add up? What I've learned is that the only way we can live free is if we allow God to label us. The only way we can live free is if we let God label us and drown out all of the other noise because everybody and their mama has an opinion of who you should be and who you shouldn't be. For some of us, we haven't allowed God to label us because, quite frankly, we don't even know what he's labeled. We don't even know what God has said about us in his word. We don't even know what God thinks about us in his word. All we've ever heard are all the negative labels that people have put on us. This is who we are in Christ. This is who we are. This is who God says we are from the word of God. Number one, we are chosen. You are chosen. I am chosen. I am not just put on this earth aimlessly to walk around and, and, and then die at 75 years old. We are chosen by God. First Peter 2 and 9 says, but you are a chosen people. Everybody say chosen people. Look at your neighbor and say, I am chosen. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful night light not night into his wonderful light another label that god has put on us is that we are his child we are his children romans 8:14 and 15 says For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Some theologians say that in the original language, in the original Greek, that word Abba literally means Daddy. 
that, that, that he is our daddy. That, that, that there's that intimate relationship between father and son or father and daughter that we possess with our heavenly father. Another label that God puts on us is this, that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. What a great label that is. The psalmist psalmist tells us this in Psalms 139. You are not a mistake. Somebody in here needs to hear that. You are not a mistake. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Made. If someone has told you that you're a mistake, you need to tell them, no, I'm not. Get up out of my face. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And you cannot make me believe anything else. We are made in his image and in his likeness. You were made on purpose for a purpose. You were made on purpose for a purpose. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 and Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is a great label right here. You are a new creation. You are a new creation. Some of us need to hear this because we might be saved, but we don't feel like new creations. But you are a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If you are a born-again believer, then Christ has made you new, and you are not bound by the things you have done in your past. You are not bound. You are not imprisoned by the things you have done In your past, if you are a born-again believer, Christ has unlocked the prison doors and He has broken off the shackles and you are free and you are a new creation in Christ. Can somebody say hallelujah? The shame is gone. The guilt is gone. The condemnation is gone. Christ paid the penalty. He took your shame. He took your guilt He took all of that junk that you're feeling today. He took it upon himself upon that cross. And you don't have to live and walk in that anymore. If people are reminding you of who you were in the past, you need to remind them of of the fact that you are a new creation in Christ. Another label is this. You are free. You are are free. We are free from slavery to sin, death, and the labels that people put on us. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Many people, Christ has freed them from slavery to sin and addiction and all that, but they don't realize it and they're not walking in it. They're still walking like they're bound. They're still walking like they're in prison, but Christ has already set us free. And if you've accepted him as your savior, you need to walk in the freedom that he has given you. When we don't walk in that freedom, we trample on the blood that Jesus shed for you and I. When we continue to walk in condemnation, when we continue to walk in guilt, when we continue to walk with our head down, we're trampling over what Christ did for us. We're not receiving by faith 
the price Christ paid for you and I. We live as if God does not exist in our lives when we allow others to label us instead of our creator. You might be a Christian atheist if you label other people. And worship team, could you uh, please come up? You might be a Christian atheist if you label other people. I'm very embarrassed and ashamed of this story, but I need to share it in order to illustrate my point. Growing up, I had a, a neighbor of mine that was a little bit overweight. Her name was Jennifer, and I nicknamed her Fatifer. I relentlessly made fun of this girl for being overweight, relentlessly, nonstop. Every time, at her and my sister were like best friends, so every time she would come over, relentlessly made fun of her, called her all sorts of names. Any fat joke you could think of, I used it on this girl. I would even get my friends in on it, and they would make fun of her as well. When she got in high school, I noticed that she became incredibly thin, even to the point where people were thinking she has some sort of eating disorder. And I found out later that she was diagnosed with bulimia. She would eat her food and then run to the bathroom and throw up. And it got so bad that she had to be hospitalized for this eating disorder. And I believe that a major reason that she became bulimic and had this eating disorder was because of the labels I put on her for being overweight. I believe that, I, that the seeds, the negative seeds I planted in her heart when we were growing up caused this girl to become the way she was. And thankfully, after I got saved and I grew up a little bit, I had the opportunity to apologize to her and ask for her forgiveness. And although I did ask for her forgiveness and I said sorry, there's a part of her life that was affected by me that she can never, ever get back. And let me tell you something this morning. The labels that we put on people can permanently scar them. Some of us sitting in here this morning, we are permanently scarred from things that people have spoken over us. Maybe when we were kids, maybe when we were teenagers, maybe when we were adults. Things that people have spoken over us have created scars that we live with and we struggle with every single day of our lives, every single second of every day. We need to be very careful with words we use when talking to or about other people. James chapter 3 verses 8 through 12 says this, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings. We praise our Lord and Father uh, or who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The words that we speak over people are powerful. They carry weight. 
What James is saying here is that if we're followers of Jesus, then how is it that negative, hurtful, poisonous words can come from the same mouth that speaks praises to God? He's saying, how is it that people can come to church and sing and shout praises to our Heavenly Father and then go and gossip and slander the leadership of the church? How can this be? This should not be is what James is saying. We live as if God doesn't exist when we praise Him with one side of our mouths and we curse others with the other side of our mouths. And we all do it. You've done it. I've done it. But James is saying that this should not be. You know, we can say, and Pastor Braden, if you could just play a little bit for me. We can say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. We can say that until we're blue in the face, but you and I know that that is not true. In fact, sometimes words hurt more than sticks and stones, and they last longer than the pain that we feel from sticks and stones. For some of us, negative words and labels put on us have changed the course of our lives. I've counseled people before that were labeled gay, feminine, girly boy, or things of that nature so much that even if they weren't that way because of the labels people put on them because of the words people spoke over them they started to believe what people were saying about them and they were confused and they were going through an identity crisis because of the labels that people put on them I'll be honest I've said things like that before Have you ever called someone a loser before? I'm sure every one of us has. Think about what that could do to a person's confidence. Have you ever told someone to go to hell? Think about that statement. We shouldn't wish that on our worst enemy. Pastor just preached a message on hell. I don't want anybody to experience that. Have you ever known someone that was labeled the runt of their family because they were smaller than everybody else? Think about the self-esteem issues they could be going through because they go through life trying to prove that they're big enough to everybody else. And they're never comfortable in their own skin because they've always been labeled the runt. There's so many issues that are created because of that. How dare we label someone that was created in the image and likeness of God in a negative and hurtful way. How dare we do that to His chosen people? The thing is that we don't like it when people label us, but we're quick to label others. You see, at the same time that Christian Peterson was making fun of me and James Landers was making fun of me, I was making fun of my neighbor. And I was so hurt and devastated when they labeled me. But I would turn around and label her because hurt people hurt other people. And until we're healed and until we're whole, we will hurt other people the same way they're hurting us. We live like God doesn't exist in our lives when we label others because we're cursing what He created. We're cursing 
what he created in his image and likeness. Let's pray this morning. Everybody just bow their heads and close their eyes. Lord, we need you this morning. We need your presence this morning. I want to ask everybody a question in this place. Is there anybody in this room this morning that if you're honest with yourself, the label that you're wearing this morning is sinner? You're a sinner. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're not a child of God. The label that you're wearing is sinner. And today, you want God to label you His child. You want to be labeled forgiven. You want to be labeled set free. You want to be labeled son or daughter of the Most High God. Is there anybody in here that you need a relationship with Jesus? If you died today, you don't know where you would spend eternity. If you would lift up your hand, if there's anybody here today, if you would lift up your hand quickly. Is there anybody at all you need a relationship with Jesus for the first time this morning? You don't have that relationship. Is there anybody in here? Is there anyone in this room that you have the label of backslider? Maybe you used to serve God. Maybe you used to be on fire. But for whatever reason, things happen. Life happened. And you're not serving Jesus anymore. And you are a backslider. You're like the prodigal son. And you want to come back to Jesus this morning. You want that relationship. You've tasted and you've seen the light. And you've seen and tasted of the world. And you want that relationship with God again. Is there anybody in here that you would lift up your hand that you're a backslider? Anybody at all? I'm backslidden today. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not serving God today. Okay. Here's what I want us to do. I want you, I want you to get your label that is on your chair. And here's what I want us to do. I want us, and ushers will be walking around with pens. If you need a pen, if you could lift up your hand. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on that label something that God has labeled you, something that God has spoken to you. You may want to use something that I said this morning, or you may want to use something else. Something that God has labeled you chosen, forgiven, free, child. Whatever that label is. There's so many of us that walk through life being labeled by others. And labeling ourselves. And we struggle with insecurity. And we need to know what God has said about us. And we need to walk in that confidence. And so I want you to take a minute and I want you to write what God has labeled you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to put it on. Uh, And and when you go to lunch today and when your waiter or somebody says, why do you have the label that says forgiven? Man, you can tell them because I've, I've committed all sorts of sins in my life. I've made all sorts of mistakes in my life. But God has forgiven me. And I have a relationship with Jesus now. And you can witness to them right at lunch without having to do hardly anything. They've asked you that question. And so I want you to take a minute to do that. And then Pastor Braden and the worship team, they're going to lead us in a song of worship. So 
worship team, if you could lead us. And as soon as you are done with that label and you've put it on, why don't you stand to your feet and let's worship Jesus this morning. I need you more. More than yesterday, I need you more. More than words can say, I need you more.
last week that I don't like being put in awkward situations but I like putting people in awkward situations so I just need two people that would be willing to come up here and and just share what they put as what God has labeled them and and talk for about 10 seconds of why you put that on this is not your time to preach I've already preached but uh, who who, who in here we're almost done but I need two people to come up and I need you to testify come on up hand up uh, I need you to testify and tell us why you put the label that you put. Here you go, brother. Testify. Praise the Lord. I thank God for my life, and uh, I believe uh, once upon a time, I was walking in a different direction, by virtue of my career. But at one certain point in my life, the Lord called me to a different direction. I become a registered nurse, which implies I have more opportunity to share uh, my talent with people in the area of helping people, empowering people to live above their problems, particularly their medical problems. So I believe I'm a helper, and I thank God for this grace. God bless you. Amen. What a cool label, helper. So many people are herders, but his label that God has spoken over him was the label helper. All right, sister. Well, at the risk of uh, being a duplicate, a long time ago I heard a sermon on uh, your calling. Your, God has placed a calling on everyone. And one of the callings, you know, he's, uh, I heard to examine your heart and what it was in your heart that you had for people. And I believe I have a servant's heart, and God called me to be a servant. So um, I also believe in helping and serving people, so I'm a servant. And then when I first got saved over 20 years ago, there was a song that I loved, and it was about being a thankful, that the song was, I have a thankful heart. And I'm always very conscious and careful to be thankful, but I believe God placed a thankful heart on me too so I have a thankful heart and I'm also I believe I have a servant's heart amen let's give the Lord a huge shout of praise this morning thank you Lord thank you Father thank you Lord that we don't have to listen and live in the labels that others have put on us We don't have to listen to the labels that the devil has tried to put on us. But you have labeled us. You have called us. You have chosen us. And Lord, I pray that we would walk in that today. And Father, I pray as as our people are going out to lunch... Father, I pray that that label on them would, would, would cause people to ask them why they're, put, why they're wearing that. And Father, I pray that they would have an opportunity to witness, an opportunity to share your love, an opportunity to share your grace with other people that don't know you and that are in desperate need of you, Lord. We love you, Lord, today. We praise you today and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. We are dismissed today. Uh, If you're a guest with us, don't forget to go by our Welcome Center. We have a gift out there. And have a wonderful afternoon, and God bless.